This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, Elaine with Simple Passive Casual Podcast here. Make sure you go to the website, sign up for the investor club at simplepassivecasual.com slash club. And also check out all the videos we have on the YouTube channel. Today's podcast, I'm going to be reading a short essay or story that uh, one of my buddies wrote for me. He used to be a lawyer in a pretty uh, cutthroat company and um, you know, just kind of talking with him. I think we met probably about a year or two years ago. It's been a while now, but since then he's picked up his first turnkey rental and he is definitely on the way to financial freedom. So uh, here it is. I'm going to kind of dictate it. And here we go. The Legal Labyrinth. Notes from a lawyer learning to see beyond the maze. Imbued with the dream of becoming a lawyer, upholding the law, arguing in front of a judge and jury, defending the underserved or mastering the art of the deal, you head to law school and never look back. Three years and over $150,000 in student loans later, you graduate, eager to apply your newly minted legal mind. You pass the bar and probably step up to your new job at a law firm, corporate legal department, or government office. But unbeknownst to you, despite your Juris Doctrine degree and ESQ title, you've just entered the same rat race as the majority of the U.S. workforce. I know all of this because I've been there. After graduating from law school, I was luckily enough to find a job at a big law firm where I practiced corporate law in the mergers and acquisitions field. That meant many 80 plus hour work weeks representing companies and private equity firms in the fast paced, high pressure world of buying and selling companies. My colleagues in litigation practices were subject to less ups and downs but we're still regularly cranking out 60-plus hour work weeks under intense deadlines and filings. We all got there by employing the same mentality we used all throughout our lives. Work hard, perform well to achieve the goal at hand, and collect actable accolades. What I realized when I got to the top of the legal profession, however, what that the view wasn't very pretty. The golden ticket. Landing a job at a top-ranked big law firm, at first, appears to be a golden ticket to higher compensation, benefits, opportunities, and ultimately a better life. Big law firms were seen as the most prestigious in the legal world for handling the most complex work and servicing even more illustrious clients, big pharma, tech giants, and oil companies. The associates and partners are paid top dollar in return for their expertise, ability, and availability. For instance, right out of law school in 2018, a big first-year big law associate is paid $190,000 as base salary and is eligible for a $15,000 annual bonus. For the next eight years, the base salary and annual bonus of most big law firms increases in a lockstep fashion according to the market-setting PREF pay scale. Beyond the compensation, top-ranked law firms boost taglines of unparalleled legal training 
and opportunity to work with like-minded intellectuals and a sophisticated client on diverse and challenging matters. For those reasons, even after a long, hard week where you would be subjected to extreme stress, no sleep, and 80 billable hours, not counting the 10 non-billable hours of FaceTime at the office, you're supposed to put your head down, keep going, and receive that big fat paycheck every week. After all, it's what it's worth it, right? Why we do what we do. A handful of lawyers enjoy the practice of big law and its intellectual rigor. The litigator's ability to cre- creatively craft a brief to sway the court's decision or checkmate the op- opposite side into settlement or the deal makers negotiating savvy that secures the client's acquisition of a promising portfolio company. These select few are the ones willing to grind it out for years into a, a lucrative partnership with the firm. But the vast majority of big law attorneys are young professionals who admit they are not particularly interested in partnership and are only looking to gain some experience and training to parlay into in-house position in a company's legal department or a smaller firm, where they will take a substantial pay cut in return for a more balanced lifestyle. Nearly all big law attorneys share one thing in common, a $150,000 plus student loan burden that makes a high-paying six-figure job that much more appetizing. Lawyers are known for their risk aversion and many think that this debt is a risk in the sense of impairing their ability to dump their earnings into savings and their 401k. As a result, it was common for colleagues to talk about surviving in the trenches of big law long enough to eliminate their student debt. Finally, there is a phenomenon of the golden handcuffs. Law firm's associates get used to the high income and adjust their lifestyles accordingly. As a result, they believe themselves to be stuck in their jobs. Of course, they don't realize all the way how much money they are wasting to make themselves happy, buying the nice watches, a few bottles of wine each week to unwind at a fancy dinner, the new car, and that they are holding the keys to the handcuffs that keep them at their job and lavish lifestyles. At what cost? Time equals money. Being a lawyer at a firm is the epitome of trading time for money. Your working life, and therefore the majority of life, become ruled by the billable hour, and you start to see your life measured in quarter-hour increments. Associates are expected to maintain certain billable hours, i.e. hours actually billed on client matters. In order to be eligible to receive the annual bonus, the billable hour as a metric, your value as an attorney is measured by how productive you are and how efficiently you pres- and precisely you can churn out work product per hour. These billable hours are the firm's source of revenue, and it is not uncommon to have a billable hour requirement of 2,000 hours per year. 2,000 hours equates to roughly 40-hour work week. Not bad, right? But that does not include lunch, bathroom, and water breaks, and any minute away from your desk chatting with a friend or asking your secretary to file away old matters. It was not uncommon to work a 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. workday, 
only to see my billable time for that day clocked in at a measly 7 hours. Sometimes, there was not enough work to support that, and during these slow times, it was not uncommon to bill 4 hours or less, even though I was in the office the entire day. Finally, not having steady workflow meant oftentimes getting reacquainted with matters that you did not have seen for 3 weeks or so and feeling pressured into writing off the first hour you spent spend getting your bearings as to not look slow or inefficient. This billing pressure, having partners pressure you into billing more hours to pad their pockets, but also to be conscious about keeping the client's bill down to create the image of efficiency, takes a toll on associates and even partners. Even at the most elite firms, the most senior partners who have worked 60 to 80 hour weeks for over 20 years earn at most in the low seven figures. Unless you are the plaintiff attorney taking down big tobacco or pharma, there is no such thing as the sky is the limit in the legal profession. Serving two masters. Associates working at a law firm really have two clients, the partners they are working for and the clients whom the work is working for. Both partners and clients expect the associates to be available at hours of the day 24-7. For instance, a client could email regarding the emergency before the break of dawn before the associate is expected to give a timely response within the hour. Similarly, a partner could give an associate an assignment before he heads home for the day and expect to see the work product before the next morning. There are no boundaries to when partners and clients can expect an associate to work. It is even more frustrating when you realize the client bossing you and your partner around is a 20-year-old who stepped into his current gig after working at an investment bank for two years after undergrad. He's the one who dictates your weekend plans by needing an update on the deal memo and other docs immediately so he can let his boss know that his trip to Vegas won't be disturbed since the lawyers will be still turning drafts all weekend. A thankless profession. Starting out as a young associate, one expects to be inundated with the trivial tasks such as due diligence of companies, customer contracts, in a buy-side deal, or doc review of finding the smoking gun. One would think that the more senior an associate becomes in a log firm, the more control they have over their schedule, perhaps by delegating work to younger associates. However, it's the opposite. The more senior an associate, the more responsibilities he or she will have, and oftentimes it's too complex of a matter to delegate to younger associates. Partners' responsibilities and commitments bef- between doing the work for multiple important clients to business development, which does not count toward their own billable hour requirements, have it even worse and are often working earlier in the morning and late into the night. One particular memory I have from my time working in Big Law was a conversation I had with a partner on the eve of a transaction's closing. It was about 3 a.m. Friday morning at the end of the week of late nights and we were leaving to get a couple hours of sleep before an 8 a.m. closing call. He says, you know how 
we lawyers all think we are the smartest people in the room. How when a business guy says something way off, we roll our eyes and figure we'll have to get it right in the contract and negotiation. Well, we're actually the stupid ones. We're in the wrong professional. The business guy went to bed early, fully expecting that we get this all done. He's getting paid big tomorrow morning and may not ever have to work again. And we're here until 3 in the morning and all we will get is a thank you and a bottle of wine at best. But if we mess it up, we're going to have a lot to lose. And this only one of the three deals I have closing tomorrow. That conversation stuck with me. Granted, he'll get a share of the legal bill for the deal. But here was this well-respected, well-paid partner in his late 40s admitting to me that he made a career and lifestyle mistake. He was out of shape and always looked stressed out. The worst part was that he was sticking to this career with no end in sight because his attitude was that he made his bed and he just has to lay in it. I knew definitely that I never wanted to be like him. At the peak of my career, telling a younger colleague that someone else out there was living the dream while I was tolling away, trading my time for money. Life on the Run Because associates are expected to be available 24-7 and to meet the billable hour requirements as mentioned above, it is nearly impossible to find work-life balance. It was normal for associates to be working in their office late into the night every day and on weekends and holidays. I used to joke with my colleagues that, of course, it'll be on a Monday, it's Labor Day after all. Clients take to their holidays, which meant that you would often be stuck with something as they head out the door. Your exercise and eating habits also fall by the wayside. And even when I was able to drag myself to the gym on mornings with only 6 hours of sleep, there was always the stress. Some of my friends refused to wake up for the gym because that meant an hour of consciousness where you could be subject to an email that would ruin your day. Big Law is notorious for being able to take a normal working day from a 2 out of 10 stress level to a 10 out of 10 client emergency. And you never know when the next fire drill will be put out. I've counted more than 5 of my own personal Big Law acquaintances who fell prey to success manifesting in the form of severe illness. Countless birthdays, Thanksgivings, and family get-togethers were either missed or spent in the other room, cursing under my breath as I tried to turn a document before an artificial deadline. I would make weekend plans while while at dinner on a Friday night, only to get an email or phone call later that evening letting me know that I had to be in the office all weekend. Breaking plans with loved ones and friends was one of the most soul-crushing feelings about legal practice. As you knew that you were directly affecting their lives, not just your own. Ensuing stints of depression were not uncommon. 
and you know it doesn't get better when the partners and more senior associates are in on weekends earlier than you and they're well into the night. Sometimes, my fellow associates and I joke that maybe these partners secretly hate their families because they're always at the office. But sadly, the truth is that they all have convinced themselves that this is the only way to make a living and therefore trap themselves for good. The lack of your ability to have a social life, take control of your health, or maintain your relationships gives the big law attorney the sense of playing Russian roulette. But instead of a bang, you dread the ding of your email on a Friday night. There was always a sense of looking over your shoulder because sooner or later, big law was going to get you. Learning to love the law after drinking the Kool-Aid. I knew pretty quickly that I could never sacrifice my family life to the needs of my clients or such an extreme. And so I began to look around for a way out of big law and the life of a lawyer in general. On my long commute to home, I stumbled on investing podcasts and then real estate specific podcasts. Even this light hearted on this dude with his ukulele. And although I did not have a way mapped out yet, the one callus on interviews that everyone mentioned was, of course, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Once I read that and his cash flow quadrant, I knew that the universe was telling me that there had to be another way to live a meaningful life and that it was passive income and cash flow investing. Of course, it was nearly impossible to take action since big law was an all-encompassing job. So I tried to learn what I could about the world of passive real estate investing so that when the time came where I had enough control over my life to start investing, I could be ready to pounce. After listening to hundreds of podcast episodes and reading dozens of books on the subject, it became clear that to escape the rat race, leverage was an important factor. Not just in sense of using debt to acquire cash flowing properties, but leveraging your time and your talents. So that begged the question, how can a lawyer's skills and resources be parlayed into real estate investing? Lawyers generally have higher incomes due to their advanced degrees. As mentioned earlier, big law associates start out of law school make nearly $200,000. Outside of big law, even government lawyers can make six figures. This means quick accumulation of investment capital through earned income, W-2 wages. With the right knowledge on controlling finances, a lawyer can save well into five-finger portions of their salary per year, which can allow for the rapid growth of a cash-flowing asset portfolio. In addition, a lawyer personal network will inevitably include many similar situated legal professionals with disposable income for investing, which may prove useful for raising capital and attracting other investors to deals. The subset of a lawyer is also applicable to passive real estate investing. Lawyers have very strong reading comprehension, reading, research, and negotiating skills. Real estate property analysis can be learned, but the ability to spot issues and inconsistencies and to tackle complexities is what lawyers are trained for. 
and this will inevitably come in handy when dealing with agreements involving your real estate investing, including term sheets, purchase and sale agreements, and private placement memorandums. Due diligence is a familiar term of art for transactional attorneys, and similar principles apply in real estate purchase contexts. Furthermore, managing more junior attorneys or specialists, especially in an M&A deal, is useful experience when applied to overseeing your own investment team of property managers, agents, and other advisors. Finally, a lawyer's title carries a sense of professionalism and respect that translates well in the investing world. When I was a big law associate, sophisticated clients with 20 years of experience in investing often called me to ask me to explain a complex vesting mechanism or to handle the entire due diligence process in their purchase of a $100 million company. Being a lawyer may bring some negative associations due to popular culture and general ex- experience, such as being conniving, risk-averse, or not business-minded. But by branding yourself as a business-savvy and commercially-minded attorney, trusted with great respond- responsibilities in your W-2 job, you can stand apart with your less common background and skill set. Planning the Escape As a lawyer at a big law firm, I had little control over my life and free time. Eventually, after years of going through the grind, I was fortunate enough to land an in-house position where I am generally on a 9am to 6pm schedule. This was a crucial step that allowed me to devote more time and resources to passive real estate investing. In order to get started on escaping the maze of a W-2 legal job and the rat race, an action plan is needed. Most importantly is an, an investment in one's financial education. Start with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Cashflow Quadrant to drink the Kool-Aid, or Simple Pass a Cashflow Latte, and indoctrinate yourself into the paradigm of being financially free and having real wealth. Listen to podcasts such as the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast and read books on real estate investing. Then, after a few books and podcasts to get yourself comfortable, it is time to take action. Do not get caught up in looking for the next shiny object that will be the magic pill to get you out of the matrix. Financial independence and escaping the rat race takes time, and you should not be distracted by what others have done to amass total wealth if their situation is not much different than yours. When observing the stories of other W-2 income earners and how they have mapped out their escape, one thing became clear. The investing must be passive, and intentional efforts and actions have to be made towards pursuing even those passive investments. Not to say that quitting your legal job now and diving into real estate or other investments cannot be done, but just realize what it is you're trying to achieve. If it is financial independence and escaping your rat race job, then focusing on obtaining passive income that will cover your expenses and then replace your salary. If you're looking to get out of the law by jumping into flipping or wholesaling real estate, just realize that you're just doing a career switch into another active endeavor and that you are not achieving financial independence in that way until you have a passive income stream from your investments. You are also giving up one of your hugest advantages, which is the high salary. Like Plato in the myth 
of the cave or Neo in the Matrix, the paradigm shift is the most important first step in seeing the truth. Without it, we are just highly educated esquires blindly fumbling through the corporate ladder or firm hierarchy until we reach 59 and a half years to collect our 401k payments. I am lucky enough to have gotten through the first level of the maze of the legal profession and that is big law, where time is traded for dollars. I am now on the way in the second level where the only way out is the accumulation of passive income. Many tell me that once I free myself from the day job or need to collect a paycheck, I will begin to ponder what else to do with my time and find difficulty to find fulfillment after. Well, as my mentor Lane Kaoka tells me, that's a first world problem. If you'd like to learn more about how to skate, start with the journey to simple passive cash flow and join the, the Passive Investor Accelerator. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. Thanks. I'm super excited about a new program I'm rolling out that's going to reinvent scammy real estate education programs. So excited, like Marie Kondo cleaning stuff up excited. Announcing my new mastermind program which consists of a closed member site with 27 packed weeks of content, plus bi-weekly group video conference calls to ask whatever. Half of the calls will be centered around granular investing tactics and the other half will be holistic wealth building strategies that I have learned from the wealthy. That's 25 plus hours of group coaching and masterminding. And a secret Facebook group too. I know what you're thinking. Not another flippin' Facebook group. Well, this one's going to be different. More intimate, exclusive, and no cheapskates or shady vendors in it. I've been coaching individual clients over the past couple years and I figured out what you guys need and a way to provide it in a cost-effective way. Learn more, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey and join before the first cohort fills up and the introductory pricing goes away. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.